Welcome, welcome, welcome. Dr. Jason Dean, Brave TV, your source for health, freedom, and knowledge. <clears throat> How's it going, everybody out there? Who is out there in live streaming land? See Michelle's out there. Bruna's out there. Ooh, are you, do we have a busy Thursday going? Busy Thursday? It's, uh, we do. The chat is fired up, excited. They're rocking and rolling. We have some guests coming on today. They call themselves the Dangerous Dames. I was just on their show a couple days ago. They're, one of them's in the green room. The other one will be right behind. And uh, we'll jump to them in a minute. Um, Sassy says, question. I got a full moon protocol in the past, not the liquid. And didn't get an email for the show last night. So I do. So the show is recorded. Um and that will be going out via email as well. I don't know why everyone did get the email. You get, um, look at your inbox, look at your junk mail, because that that is um, uh, people are people are not getting emails. Strangely enough, they're not getting, uh, and and that's a combination, um, which we we'll have to talk about at another show sometime. That's a combination. Uh, remember, I <laughs> I don't own the email servers. I just pay for um, a subscription to email servers like everybody else. So big tech still owns. All of these subscription services, email services, et cetera, things like that, right? Um, so if you're not getting emails out there, and it doesn't even just for me, I know other people are having problems. So even even like Mike Lindell with, with my pillow and Frank Speech has problems with email servers. So um, just be on the lookout for that. So uh, I have both my guests here. They're gonna bring them up live. Um, they are the dangerous names. We're just gonna have a fun conversation. Um, I met uh, Courtney in, I met her in, I think the first time in Vegas. Um, I did a show with them in Vegas at Trump tower. I believe if I remember correctly, maybe it was at a different hotel, but one of them, um, had a great time. She has a great show. And then I met Dr. Lee Merritt, uh, for the first time in, uh, Iowa, uh, at the, uh, uh Gio Griffin red pill conference. And they're both awesome. And then I was on the show last week. I don't remember what Monday, something like that, if I remember correctly. So we're just going to have some fun today and chat because they have a fun show. Uh, Courtney is genius. Uh, I've seen some of her stuff when it comes to essentially Marxism and the communist revolution, like genius, like levels that I, I did not know, like to the point where I got to sit. When she talks, I have to sit down and take notes because I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And then Dr. Lee Mara is genius. She understands her world. Um, her conversations are a lot of fun. If you've never seen him or her on tour, definitely track her. Uh, but let's bring them up and let's just see where it goes. Uh, oh, I forgot to put Corny out there. Hold on. I do that. That's what happened. See there. There you go. There you go. See what one, one, one man show. Ladies, how are you both doing? Great. Fantastic. Courtney, how are you doing? Good? Just I didn't understand it. Good. Uh, Courtney, I can't hear your audio, Courtney, for some reason. That's strange. But Dr. Lee, oh, how are you doing while she gets yeah. hers going? Okay. Oh, there yeah, you go. It's been, it's been busy. I just spoke at the Senate yesterday. I saw that. I saw, And I yeah. also saw your Twitter where Courtney is lifting large amounts of weight above her head. And I did not know you were a CrossFit workout, like, crazy person in a good way. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I do aerial and then I, I do CrossFit also. I used to coach. 
Okay, nice. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, Dr. Lee, how are you doing and how is your world? Are you are you still practicing? I didn't ask that before. No, I got, you know, I, I'm an orthopedic and spinal surgeon by training. And yeah. so I did that up until 2020. Let me just think 2021, end of 2021. And okay. because I spoke out against the masks, I was just doing part time. I, I, I'm semi, I was semi retired. I'm the only Iowan to retire back from Arizona. I was long term practice in, in private practice in Arizona, but I came back to my hometown. I kind of retired semi. But what happened is when I started speaking out against the masks, uh, you know, suddenly you go from being a fairly respected person in your field to a bloody idiot. And <laughs> But beyond that, it was really interesting. So I had this little contract at a hospital that I enjoyed just kind of going up a couple of days a week doing general orthopedics. And one day, two weeks after I uh, my talk about the masks blew up, um, this ophthalmologist from San Francisco called my hospital and ragged all over the new CEO who didn't want me from Adam. And uh, the next, and I and I found out about it from the nurse in my clinic, and and I said nothing good is going to come of this. And within two weeks, I had a con cancellation of my contract. So I'm okay. I, you know, I thought I was going to, honestly, it was in a way a, a gift of God because I was afraid that when I retired completely, I'd really be, so many people, you know, that have a profession and they're, they're so much of their life's that profession that they just yeah. get depressed kind of when they retire. Yeah. And I didn't want to be one of those people. And I didn't know quite how that was going to work, that transition. But hey, no problem, because I just moved in from that to this war. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a great way of saying it. Courtney, how did you end up in this whole thing? This whole whatever we call so, it. Yeah, whatever we call it. I, I was living in Santa Monica, California, and uh, the lockdowns were pretty egregious. You know, the, the measures were really tyrannical. I, I know in lots of places, but especially there. I mean, I would walk out of my apartment, not not building, like apartment, and I would get harassed for not wearing a mask. Um, I actually had a woman chase me down the street, like start running after me with a knife, and she's wearing a mask, screaming at me that I was a murderer because no. I was not wearing a mask. Yeah, the irony of that, she's, she's chasing me down with a knife, but I'm a murderer because my naked face is somehow going to be a threat to her existence. Um, so there are many instances like that. I, I went to an eye doctor because I was having uh, Shalazians, which were definitely a direct result of the mask. Um, and it was in the eye. I, I'm blind in one eye. So it was in the one eye I see out of. And I was very concerned about it. And they literally, this is, it's so surreal that when I tell it, I still don't believe it actually happened to me. But they, the whole entire, it's like a hospital waiting room. So it's pretty big. You know, there's nobody in there. It's completely empty. And they tell me they're going to have to wear masks. So, you know, of course I sit down. There's nobody for me to contaminate, even if I had anything to contaminate them with. I mean, there's nobody to breathe on. Um, but I'm sitting there and they come over and insist I put on masks. So I finally put on my, I had one of these like sparkly, like mesh <laughs> things. That I, and I put that on. And of course they come over and tell me that that is not acceptable. And that if I do not put on one of their little paper, you know, made in China, uh, you know, filled with the Mergellans and whatever else was in there, um, that I was going to have to be escorted out. They circled me. So security comes up. They circle me in like a semicircle. And I swear it was like a chant. And they start saying, comply, comply. Really? Comply. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
And someone finally broke what felt like a seance, you know, and said, uh, I'm sorry, miss, if you do not comply, we're going to have to escort you out and uh, have you arrested. Now, I, of course, I didn't really know at the time, but it, it is this weird interim because that security is because it's a hospital connected to school. It's, it's like this weird connection. It's not a police. It is security, but they do have the authority. They have the liaison to right. be able yep. to instruct yeah, so it's a good thing I did leave, but I decided they clearly didn't care too much about my eye um, and that maybe I should see another doctor. But uh, yeah, all this to say, so I, you know, started speaking out because I was so frustrated and I was, I had just gotten fired from both of the gyms I was working at and I can't prove it, I'm 99.9 repeating to the infinite degree, uh, sure, that it was over politics. I was doing aerial acrobatic performances and I would speak like sharing my personal birth story. I would talk about movement as a metaphor for life, using physical training as a tool to overcome adversity in other areas of life. Yeah. And I had several uh, events scheduled and of course those were all canceled. So I found myself incredibly depressed and isolated and oh I thought gosh. it'd be a great time. I remember the first day of the lockdown, I was like, this is a great opportunity to write. And at the end of 10 hours, I had a beautiful white screen staring back at me. I decided that wasn't going so well. <laughs> so I ordered 11 books that day. I was like, well, I don't usually have time to read. It's a great opportunity to read. And then I found myself like wanting people to talk to you about all the things that I had read. And I had nobody to talk to because everybody's covered up in a map. But this is very long-winded, but the hardest part of the mask for me is that I w I'm hearing impaired. I'm, I wear bilateral hearing aids now, okay. but I learned how to speak by reading lips. I didn't get hearing aids until I was almost six years old. Oh, my wow. My first accent. Yeah. My first accent was actually British because I was watching the, my baby nurse who was from the British Islands, and they they move their mouths so differently. Uh, so I, yeah, so I was trying to navigate all of this, and... Uh, I couldn't talk to people because I didn't realize how much I still depend on the nonverbal cues and lip reading uh, for clarity of speech until all the coping mechanisms I spent my entire life developing were then taken away from me. Um, so I started speaking out on social media, which I really didn't do much of up until then because uh, I was in the entertainment industry, I was in the fitness industry, the circus industry, and I lived in Santa Monica, California. My views were not very popular. Uh, so <laughs> I... Uh, so I usually just kind of kept them quiet. Most people knew because uh, uh, years earlier, I actually wrote for and uh, did interviews for for Politichick. So a lot of people did know. I remember that. Yeah, they're they're awesome. I I'm still in touch with them. They're wonderful. But I so it's not like it was a secret where I stood, but I kind of just didn't engage in battle. You know, I I like to pick my battles, and I don't necessarily want to go into war every day in my life. Uh, ironically, that seems to be what I do now. <laughs> that makes but yeah, sense. So I started speaking on social media, and people started suggesting that I do a podcast. And uh, I had no idea what podcasts were. Like, this is how. <laughs> That's that always dangerous. Know. It's always dangerous when someone suggests you do a podcast. And you're like, oh, really? Okay, how do I? I was like, well, what's a podcast? And then someone said, yeah, you really need to be on Rogan. And this is how little I knew. I said, what's a Rogan? Why do I need to be on it? <laughs> so, so I started like researching podcasts and I got very sucked into the intellectual dark web. And uh, I, I, I now know a lot more about it. But at the time, you know, I, I was very naive and I was, that kept me company on my you know, long like hikes that I had to drive an hour and a half away to be able to do them without a mask and not get arrested. Um, 
So I I would listen, and uh, then I I don't know. A few other people kept suggesting I do this podcast thing, and at first it really terrified me. But then I realized I could have naked face conversations, and this might save my life. <laughs> and yeah. even if it was over a digital interface, and so. I committed to six months of recording and I told my guests I might not air them, that I really just wanted to have meaningful discourse and be able to see people's faces. But I enjoyed it so much and they seemed to enjoy it. And here we are. Yeah. That's so awesome. Dr. Lee, you you were doing, I watched many shows that you were doing. How did you guys come together? Because I was like, oh, I know Dr. Lee's show. I know Courtney's doing stuff. How did the Dangerous Dames come together? Yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't start with all this. I started, I was the president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons years ago because the the COVID fight made me do, but the fight against government-run healthcare is not. And so I've been in, in that fight for quite a long time. So I've been kind of used to doing, you know, presentations and speeches and stuff like that. So when this whole thing started, my, my big three-minute claim to fame was I went down to the Omaha City Council to try to stop the mask mandate. And I told my friend Ben Tapper, I said, this will be easy. How long do we have to speak? Three minutes, no problem. Nobody believes in this stuff. And unfortunately, we were opposed by the entire University of Nebraska guys, just the two of us against all of them. And so that got, went, my little three minutes kind of went viral and went on Alex Jones. And that was one thing like, you know, so I was still practicing at that point. So, oh, wow. And so suddenly, no, I didn't mention my hospital. I didn't mention anything else except my visit, my my, you know, what I knew about masks, which having worn one as a surgeon for 40 some years, you know, it was crazy. And we knew it didn't work this way. We were, it wasn't like OSHA and the environmental services sciences just woke up yesterday, were just disappeared yesterday. We knew that these things didn't work this way. But anyway, um, so I was invited down. It was Florida, I think, that we, and we got together because I was invited down to speak at the Freedom Law School. And one of the yep. great things, I got to say, this is such an exciting time to be alive, an exciting world that, that we've discovered because of all this. Because you know that income tax is a fraud. Who knew our legal system is a fraud? We're not going to the Truman Show. And, and that was so I went down to Freedom Law School because I'd spoken at Red Pill. And, uh, mm. and I, my, the speaker in front of me was Payman Multahedi. And he's talking about the, the, the income tax. And I remember standing behind the screen and saying, You've got to be kidding me because trust me as a spine surgeon, I paid a lot of taxes. So this was all new to you then? This was, this was, this was not an old school world. No, no. And I went down to, so then I, I went down to, to the Freedom Law School asked me to speak and I went down and spoke for them. Um, Jack Maxey was there from, from, he was actually zooming in from Switzerland about the, the, the laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop. I mean, they're great speakers uh, that were there. (laughs) And and then uh, Courtney was there and she was doing her uh, interview thing and she had a little recorder and we had a great time. We just hit it off. So that's, that's how we started. And then yeah. not long ago, I said, you know, Courtney, we need we're dangerous. We need to do a show called The Thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, I can come up with ideas, but I don't have good follow through. And she suddenly she and Lynn got this whole thing going. I mean, they got it. They got they're good at doing this podcast. And you're really good at it. I, I, so I, yeah. I know I. I uh whenever we go, like when we were doing the speaking tour, things like that, or like now I'm going to go to another event and, and whenever they ask to do like interviews, they, they, when I come back, they get, they always get mad at me because my schedule is so slammed. Right. Like, because I'm still, I'm still in practice and doing everything. And they're like, well, why don't you have time all day? And I'm like, how do you guys have time all day? I don't like, like we're staying busy. Like I can give you 15 minutes here, a half hour there, et cetera, all this stuff and stuff. So I started this 2016 or 17. I started the original podcast, right? And I was just 
educating people. It was super easy. I could do it in my spare time. It wasn't a big deal. And then you get thrown in, just like you two, gets thrown into this whole disaster. I mean, because unfortunately, and, and I, I'm probably like you, like you ladies, like I believe we're all on a divine path. And obviously we've all been put in the way of this because we know something or like you, Dr. Lee, you're open to knowing something new, which is great because not everyone is, especially in that in, in the field of medicine, which we'll talk about. But then once you get in, you're going, okay, something has to change. This is not okay. This is not right. And yes, I'm willing to put in the extra hours to make this all occur. Is that about right, Dr. Lee? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, and, I, and I'll be honest, I didn't come into this, uh, this fight carrying a Bible. I haven't been in church in 35, 40 years. But I recognized the devil in the street trying to kill my children yes. right away. And, and, and quite frankly, and I, and I read Russian, so I got on the Russian sites early on in this whole thing in February, January 2020, and I, I started reading the, what the Russian bioweaponeers were saying. So I, I kind of got a heads up on this thing, and I knew how bad this was, was from the get-go. And this is, this is why I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, all these churches putting up these vaccine things. Are you kidding me? You know, sitting six feet apart, putting on a mask, um, not singing, no, not doing things because that's very satanic. I, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. we're, we're what are we thinking here? So I, uh, yeah, I came in this in, in an odd in an odd situation, but now I've realized we're in a battle of good and evil. I really, I got it now. I mean, this this has awakened us in all sorts of ways that I wouldn't have appreciated. But it's a fight that we we had to, we have to keep taking on and. It is. It is a war. It's not. This isn't a disease. This is part. The disease was just. The non-disease was part of a program of of murdering us with poisons and radiation and calling it an infectious disease. But it's part of a bigger plan. And Courtney, the, the great thing is, you know, I came into this from the medicine aspect, but she came into it from the philosophic, you know, historical aspect. So we can get together and talk about these things with different perspectives, different knowledge coming into it. That's what's been great. No, hundred percent. And, and Courtney. Okay. Okay. When I started, I watched one of your shows and you were talking on essentially Marxism, communism, and, and I'm kind of one of those people where there's a couple rabbit holes. I go down deep and I know a lot about them, but unfortunately, you know, research is now 24 seven and there's only so much time to get it done. Right. Even though it is 24 seven. So like there's certain topics that I like anybody surface level information, but then if it goes too deep, I'm like, okay, I got to back out because I just don't know enough. You started talking on Marxism, communism, and this whole thing. And I'm like, I don't even know what she's talking about. This is a whole new topic to me. This is not what I, and I was like, oh my God. And I had to stop watching because I'm like, okay, I don't have a notebook with me, anything right now. And I can't do this without writing some stuff down because the genius that you are talking about how did you get involved in this level of deep understanding of the psychological aspects and what they're trying to do? So it's really interesting when you talk about like a divine path, because I, I too didn't come from a strong religious background, but I can't help but think like my entire life has like paved the way for me to do what I do now. Um, you know, I had a very early uh, interest in both psychology and philosophy as okay. a very little kid, I was obsessed with the Greek mythology. Uh, so I used to read a lot of that. And that led me to uh, Greek philosophy. So my freshman year of high school, I actually wrote a paper on the pre-Socratic philosophers. Uh, it was about the pre-Socratic philosophers' search for primordial transcendence. My sophomore year, 
I uh, did an independent study on Socrates at my high school. Here comes the pen. I got notes to take. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My high school published that. And then my junior year, I did a a independent study in philosophy, just like a, you know, overview, because they don't really teach philosophy, at least for me, they didn't teach philosophy uh, to undergrads uh, or, or to high school. And uh, I had a very strong interest also in psychology. So my mom went back to school when I was about six years old. She made the decision, started taking the, uh, you know, preliminary courses to go back and get the GREs. And uh, I was, we were very, very close and we're still very close, but I was very sick as a kid. So I spent my childhood in and out of a hospital and a lot of time with my mom. And so I'll never forget this, actually. I was six years old and we were outside on the deck and my mom says to me, I'm bored. And normally when she said she was bored, my mom's going to hate that I share this, but it's true. Um, she's, it meant we were going to Bloomingdale's <laughs> and, <laughs> it was, and it was dusk. So like the sun's about to set and my mom doesn't like to drive in the dark, even to this day. So I knew we weren't going to Bloomingdale's because that would mean she'd have to get on Route 4 and like Route 17 and like, you know, drive to uh, the mall. And that wasn't going to happen. So um, I was like, oh, I think she means like existentially, like she's bored and she wants to do something. And that was what she meant. She said she was thinking about going back to school. And I remember, I don't. That's, like that's deep for six years old, Courtney. I, I know. I was a very old soul. <laughs> and uh, maybe that's why I love Greek mythology. But like, so she said to me, I think I want to go back to school, but I don't know how you feel about that. And I, I don't know, like it was a flash of me being, you know, 30 years later. And I said to her, well, I don't really like the idea because I know you're not going to have as much time for me, but I think you need to do it. So she literally enrolled two weeks later. Um, wow. And I would help her like study. I really loved uh So she didn't love trigonometry, but I did because it looked like puzzles to me. So I would help her like study. And then when she got back, when she got into school, you know, she obviously didn't have as much time. So I started reading uh, Freud when I was nine. I read psychology today and I would tell her, okay, we should talk about this article that I found. Um, then you can do your schoolwork and spend time with me. <laughs> I was a very strange child. Um, but all this to say, I, so then in high school, I wrote a, um, I wrote two 85 page theses on dream analysis. So it was basically like a dissertation. My mom said it was actually more extensive than her dissertation. She's, she's a psychologist. Um, so it was on dream analysis and, uh, one was on problem solving and dreams. The other one was on creativity and dreams. And, uh, the initial study that I was going to present, and it's funny in hindsight, you know, knowing what I know about the corruption of institutions, but, I had presented an initial study I wanted to do on uh, brainwave states and neurotransmitters and dream states, like types of dreams. And I presented it to Columbia Presbyterian. They laughed in my face. I mean, I was 15 years old. And they said, that's a human brain study. And uh, you would need an MD, PhD to conduct the study. Uh, so we cannot allow you to do that. But <sighs> if you did, it would likely be statistically significant. And you'd probably get a Nobel Prize. So, of course, naive and very, uh, you know, I guess overly, you know, ambitious or probably hubristic. I, I was like, oh, great. That's what I'll do. And so, I was, and in hindsight, it's so silly because I was not the one who would have been cutting people's brains. Like, I was not going to be the neurosurgeon conducting, uh, you know, the experiments themselves. I'd be overseeing it. And like the analogy I always use, you don't need to know how to code in order to be a software CEO, Right. So right. I would I had the outline and the the vision for the study. They would have executed the study. But what was so it? What I, was it? Say say the name of the study again. What was it called? 
Well, I, what I wanted to find was some sort of correlation between the neurotransmitter and brainwave activity and the types of dreams that people experience. So, like, sounds like a good a... parasitic topic there, Dr. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't, who, who knows if they've done this? They haven't. I actually haven't followed up, but I, so I had, you know, a strong background in both of them, but I ended up not majoring in, I was going to major in, I started off as neuroscience major. Um, but the psychology part of it was just, I had done all of it when I was younger. So it was really not like the, it just didn't keep my interest. There was, they, I had done most of it, you know, so I ended up, but I was fascinated by this. I had to take a course just for free uh, recs and uh, I did, took a philosophy course to, you know, fulfill that. And I was like, I love this and I'm going to major in it. And the irony of all of this, so sorry, again, that was so long winded, but the irony of all this, looking back on it is, of course, everyone laughed at me. Like, you know, and I didn't even tell my parents for two years that I switched my major. Because I was so afraid they'd be so embarrassed and like so disappointed in me. And when I finally did, my dad said, why would we be disappointed that you want to learn how to think? And I said, that's a great answer, dad. I'm so glad you saw it that way. But I don't think anybody ever thought I'd use my philosophy degree. And it's actually what I use most now. That's yeah. fascinating. That's like, that's very, very fascinating. And, you know, and I'm not joking. When you, when you first said that, the, the, the topic of the thesis out loud, and you went, and I heard neurotransmitters, brain, then dream. And I go, in my head, this is how crazy, this is how weird I am. Dr. Lee, you'll, you'll understand this from a doctor's standpoint, right? Uh, my, my, I immediately go to, well, parasites are in the gut. They do consume neurotransmitters. They do cause problems in the, trans, the transfer of those to the brain. There could be something there. That would be an interesting side project on the whole thing. It's very well, fascinating. You know, you're right. I, I got to say that that's one of the things I've learned in this. I never set out to be the queen of parasites. When, when Courtney was, well, I'm a lot older, but at the same age that Courtney, when I was nine and 10 years old, what I was doing was uh, my dad and I would go out. He had three doctorate degrees, but decided to be a small town Iowa doc. And he would, we'd go out and we'd get swamp water and look at it under the microscope. It's you know, awesome. Cultured my nose bacteria in my bedroom <laughs> using his blood and making 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 uh, auger. You know, I mean that's the kind of the, so it's a little different pathway we got here. But um, yeah, so yeah, no, uh, it's the uh, I do feel like everything was a, everything's been a stepping stone to get here. And, did uh, did like, you know about the parasitic thing before you yeah, jumped no, into this world or no? No, you know, honestly, the parasite thing. I got to credit Brian Artis. You know, I. I, I, you know, we were taught parasites in it. I, I trained in New York and at the university of Rochester, we were taught I had a great parasitology course, you know, but we were taught that it was a third world country problem and that's that right. we didn't know anything about it. Right. But the problem is that's not true. And now we know that, um, it's, it's in everybody's got them. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't set out to be the queen of parasitology, but some, the problem is we've dropped the ball. Modern medicine in Western world has dropped the ball and, and the parasitology, a lot of the, the, the parasitologists, if you have a PhD in parasitology, you're not a physician. And if you're a physician, you might know about parasites, but you don't put the two together. And somebody needs to kind of put these things together. And I've just been doing the best I can. I just I just revised for the about 10th time my parasite protocol on my website because my son just redid my, he, my son is an electrical engineer, but he's a computer guy and he, he, he writes software for low level satellite connection. You know, so he's oh, really wow. good at and he just redid my whole website. And he said, Mom, you know, it's a real funny thing. 
because he wrote it from scratch. He, he got it, moved it to a different whole system and took care of it. But he said, when I was redoing this, I found out that you're, you're getting your parasite, that thing you wrote about parasites, I had to do special things because it's being used by other sites all over the world. <laughs> I said, you've got to be kidding me. You know, but it is the one thing, but it was Brian Artis. We were talking one day and we started, and, I, and he started talking about parasites. And I realized even in my own life, I, it explained the symptoms of parasites we've just not been paying attention to. And when you're talking about the psychology and the brainwaves and you're putting it with parasites, I think you're exactly right. You know, we thought for years, I mean, people would say, oh, uh, sugar cravings in women are usually due to the progesterone levels, the second part of the cycle. Okay. But what also happens the second part of the cycle, because women tend to have the, the midpoint of the cycle is usually the high moon in, in, in nature. You cycle with the moon and at the full moon is when you go into the, then the estrogen goes down and the progesterone starts going up. And we attribute that to cra food cravings, sugar cravings, but guess right. what? That's the parasites hatch out, you know? And I, so I did this little test myself. I mean, I just, when I started having a sugar craving, I've been on this program myself for over a year now to get rid of parasites. I noticed that toward I was I was spreading my cycle out, so I was doing it once a month, but I wasn't doing it on the full moon. I just couldn't bring myself to believe all that. But, you know, now I do. I wasn't get, and I started noticing. Yeah, I started getting sugar cravings. The next time it happened, I got a sugar craving, like the second part of the cycle, mid, 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 right after the full moon. I just took a dose of ivermectin, and boom, it was gone. So absolutely, our minds, you know, our parasites within us are using our thoughts. To feed them, that's <laughs> essentially what's going on. It's crazy. Yeah, it's um. We I tell this all the time. So uh, one of one of the products that I used was actually before it ever became a product. Um, when it was manufactured, I was talking to my friend who was in the manufacturing process, and he says he and we were doing some testing, and he goes, "You need this product," and I go, "Okay." I go, "What is that?" I've never even heard of it. He goes, "Well, because it's not made yet." And I go, "He goes, it's it's being made," and so. One day, and this is how it happens in doctor world. I get a I get a bag in the mail. Like I open up this box. I'm like, what is it? It's a bag, right? And it's like, <laughs> and it's a green bag. Luckily, I know the person who sent it, or I would never even open it because it looks like completely like CIA ish, dangerous. Like it come out. It just came out of a lab, right? And it's in this green bag, and I open it, and inside I see literally it looks like prescription pills. Like, again, if I don't know who's sending this, I would never touch this, but I'm like, okay, I can, it's trustworthy. And I go, let me take a few. And he's like, just take a few. Right. So I do some kinesiology testing behind the scenes and I'm like 14. Like, so I, me, this is what I do. Right. I'm cause I'm crazy. I take 14 at one time. Right. Not don't do that. <laughs> so no, but I know what you're thinking because I've done this kind of stupid stuff myself. Right. <laughs> so I take them and then I sit down for dinner with my wife and daughter. And within about 10 minutes, all of a sudden I start getting really sad to the, and it was just random, super sad to the point where I have like tears coming out of my eyes and it's not like a cry. It's not like a, a laugh. It's, it's literally, I'm sad and I'm crying. And my wife's like, what is wrong with you? And I go, I don't know. She, I go, I just overwhelmingly became very sad. And she goes, for no reason? I go, no. And then I swear to you, within a minute, my daughter does something like on the other side of the table that was like really funny. And I start laughing out loud, like it's hysterical. And I go to my wife and go, I don't know what is in those capsules, 
<laughs> but I go, I go, we're, I'm literally like, we're, I'm killing off something. And because parasites absolutely affect your emotional balance, right? And something is in there that needs to be killed off. But literally, you know, we have a mental health issue in the world. Like there's a problem and part of it is parasitic and gut bacteria and the whole guts messed up. It was just very fascinating because, you know, playing with something like that, I would not have found that out if I had not done the heavy dosage and realizing, okay, again, back to the neurotransmitters, the brain is being affected and people's mental health is absolutely affected. Well, we talk a lot about the gut brain connection and people think about parasites in the gut, but you know, when was the CDC going to tell us on the back page of the CDC, it says, uh, oh, about 50%, I think they say over 45% of Americans have toxoplasmosis and in right. the brain. When were they going to tell us that? And they and they admit that toxoplasmosis in the brain can cause personality and, and psychological damage. So 100%. It's like we somebody has known this. Don't think this is by accident. This is not medical mistakes. They want to say that we're being killed by medical mistakes. No. We're being killed by a systematic information war against us, and they're using my professional medicine to to do it, and that really pisses me off, quite frankly. I I I can definitely see that, um, Courtney. Speaking of that, the psychological they they know the psychological aspect. I mean, they know how to operate this. They know what's in our body. They know the toxins. They know the bacteria, the pathogens, etc. What are they really doing from your standpoint of like? mentally and how they get us into this evolution. They want us in ultimately complete, whether you call it communism, Marxism, et cetera. Like what is their plan and how to pull this off from your studies? Um, well, I think they, they're masters of like, you know, beta testing. So they do a lot of research under the guise of social science. So I, I, I feel like I always have to caveat things because people get very offended. I'm not All right, saying, don't worry. We offend. I offend people every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not saying all mental health professionals or all social scientists are, you know, malevolent or, you know, that they have or that they've never even done any good. I actually don't think that's true. Most I, most people go into the field, do it because they want to help people. And yeah. Some have done tremendous good. Uh, but I've done a lot of studying on the inception of the field of social science, and it it's really hard not to look at what who's behind it and how it started and think that they they didn't think that they were wizards who wanted to control people. And they that really is what it is. When you look at it, a lot of them were studying principles like hermeticism, alchemy. Uh, you know, they wanted to do mind control and in some cases brain control. And uh, you looked at, you know, the, the more recent uh, inception of this, you know, would be uh, the Tavistock Institute, and but even before it was Tavistock, it would be you know when it was uh, at the Wellington House, and it was the British Propaganda Bureau, uh, and of course the Tavistock Medical Clinic uh, was derived from that, and that's where they did all the shell shock therapy research, and it's always done under the guise of testing soldiers because we want to help the soldiers, but typically yep. you know when they do this research uh, on the soldiers. Uh, what happens is oftentimes, and it's always under, I shouldn't say always, but oftentimes it's in the name of defense. I, I, I always make the joke, you know, they put a D in front of it and it just means they have a carte blanche, like blackout budget to do whatever they want. That's right. And oftentimes what that really means is they're going to beta test and then it's going to get weaponized on the very people they were supposedly protecting, which would be us, the citizens. Um, so 
a lot of social science has been done. A lot of the research has been done on uh, the military, on soldiers. But then we see those experiments that get carried, executed on the masses. And this most of that is on trauma-based mind control. And I don't think it started then. Really, I think the origins of that go back to the mystery schools. Yep. And really what they were doing is taking a lot of those tactics. But what has changed is the technology. So the technology and, you know, included in technology would be uh, medicine and pharmaceuticals, um, you know, drugs that are not necessarily under the guise of pharmaceutical, uh, but more recreational. And they've done experimentation on all of that. And when you look at the MK Ultra studies, they've even done specific studies on dark triad personality disorder and how to not only exacerbate it, but also to create it. And before I was really familiar with that research, I just remember back in around uh, 2008, I was noticing a huge uptick in dark triad personalities and particularly like narcissism, uh, borderline personality disorder. And I felt like it was a cultural creation and it looked intentional to me. Uh, and now I, I think that that theory is a, a I, there's a lot of evidence that corroborates that theory that I had. It was, you know, it was a hypothesis that I, I didn't have much, I didn't know much of anything. It was just, you know, an observation at the time. Um, but now looking back, it looks pretty clear that that was very intentional because those people are much easier to manipulate. They're much more suggestible. Uh, they have very specific buttons, you know, proverbially mm -hmm. that can be installed and, uh, you know, triggers that can be pulled literally because those triggers were installed, as we know, from MKUltra. But now I think what we're witnessing is that on a mass scale. And then there's also the the cover that mental health provides for being able to enroll people in dependent systems, whether it be the medical system, you know, the, of course, psychology, then became psychiatry. So then that becomes, becomes like a perpetual uh system for from both the business model it's a profit model but it's also a control mechanism because now they can get them different types of uh, treatments whether they be different drugs that they're now on for perpetuity in many cases uh, that have side effects and that often cause other problems uh, but it also we know that I mean a great example would be the SSRIs right the, mm -hmm. uh, you know there were all those studies back in the 90s that proved that SSRIs do not uh, you know, have the results that they claim to. They they don't event, uh, you know, they don't alleviate symptoms of anxiety or depression. And in many cases that they actually caused it. We knew this in the 90s, yet last year, suddenly the media is ablaze with all of this, uh, oh my goodness, SSRI, SSRIs don't work. And It only fact, took 30 years for them to come around to it, you know. But you can't get well, people, I don't to get people off of them. I mean, this is, once they've done this, they don't know it's a real yeah. situation. Well, true. I was just going to say, I think it was intentional. We Oftentimes you look at why are they releasing something at that time? I think it was because now there seems to be, and it doesn't seem to have worked as well. It didn't take off as a, I think they had hoped, but there was a major push for uh, a psychedelic revival. And uh, you could see this in like, even children's clothes had mushrooms on them, you know, last year. Oh, wow. And I'm like, how, is, how are mushrooms fashionable? I was seeing mushroom like furniture. But interestingly, what is, what's the war been against? Marijuana. And it turns yep. out that marijuana keeps you from happy. You, if people that, and I don't use marijuana, but people that use marijuana uh, yeah. are not subject to MK Ultra mind control. 
Right. Interesting. Yeah. Whatever you think about it, and I say as a trauma surgeon, that's not the drug we should be worried about. But but I'm telling you, that's probably the motive. And I got to say, even my medical school got caught doing CIA funded research on MK Ultra in the psychiatry. Yeah, University yeah. of Rochester years ago. Yeah, Rochester. Very, very, very kind of quick kind of apology, and then they went away from it. And the former chief, uh, the former uh, president of the university, um, what was his name? Oh, I'm blanking on his name. There, Robert uh, Sproul. He was uh, he was one of the committee of three hundred. Not very really ever, ever a committee of three hundred. Yeah. Wow. And I actually, like listed committee of three hundred yeah, yeah, yeah. in uh, John Coleman's book. He's listed. That's why. Really. Wow. He was president when I was there for a number of years. The other thing I got to say, James Grenvig summarizes what you're saying, I think, in a really cool way. He, this is in a substack, and I, I've been looking for it for a long time, but I just found it the other day. It says, what are we fighting against? Yes, it's the embattled remnants of an ancient Sumerian death cult masquerading as a modern political, military, clandestine, and financial deep state that exerts top-down control, ruling populations largely through narrative projection. Do yep, you... But they yeah. damage our psyches. They make it hard for us to think. And then they give us a narrative and we just buy it. And so what's real these days? What's really happening in, in the world around us? What's, what's happening in Ukraine? What's happening in Gaza? What's happening in, the, in, in, in various cities that they showed us all this? They, they showed you know, destruction and doom and gloom and the, you know, the so-called blackpilling of the world. Yeah. They make you afraid. And so you know, you're, con- you're confused even about what to be afraid of. Yes. Yeah, I think the biggest one is the false fear of viruses. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Come out and said that. You know, I love your vi- virology. You know, <laughs> it's just not real. And and once you realize how it, you know, I mean, how it can be proven to be false, then you step back and you say, they're just doing it because they want to make us afraid. I love this. Don't you love disease X? Talk about a psyop. <laughs> Everything is X now. They ramped it up. (laughs) And they everything is X now. Do you know why do you know why everything is X, Courtney? Do you know why everything is X? It's the occult symbol for Satan. It's it's Osiris rising. Yeah. I know. And no one picks up on it. I'm like, there's a reason why it's X for Twitter. There's a reason why conversation about it. It's Osiris rising. Yeah. Yeah. It's X Files. X Files, exactly. Xbox. All his companies are called X now, right? That's, that's right. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned Sumeria, Doctor Merritt. I yeah. have a question for you. Uh, here's a question for both of you. I'm curious. You mentioned Sumeria. Have you studied Anunnaki stuff yet? Oh yeah. I mean, I've read all of <laughs> Belikovsky stuff and all of. Okay. Uh, uh, the, it was the guy that could translated the Sumerian tablets. Um, uh, Zechariah Sitchin. Yeah. 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 No, it's fascinating because. That, that that could be all again. That couldn't be all psyop. We don't know. But sure. what's real is the Wiki, Wiki, the WikiLeaks. Okay, in the Wiki, six months before we went into Iraq, the uh, the uh, Iraqi archaeologists had discovered the quote reanimation chamber of Gilgamesh or Nimrod. Right. Say, mm-hmm. and WikiLeaks now has exposed that Hillary Clinton was demanding as Secretary of State to be led into the Gilgamesh reanimation chamber. <laughs> Okay. And why, when we first went to Iraq, did we first go to the Antiquities Museum under the guys that were stabilizing it because it was being looted? No, we were looting it. I'm not sure. Hundred percent, absolutely. There's, you, whatever. There's some of this you can't prove, but some of it leads to the suspicion that it's it's true. Hundred um, percent, Courtney. You were talking about you're going into the SSRIs and stuff like that. So, 
I know they're using them. I and and <clears throat> preface this with which my audience knows, but my mid twenties, I had some anxiety, probably because I ate garbage, which I did at the time. Get shocking why my sugar diet was giving me anxiety, but that's a whole that's a whole topic. And I went to a primary care doctor, Doctor Lee, and I didn't know anything at the time. I wasn't in healthcare, and they're like, "Oh, do you ever get anxiety?" The blood work came back fine. Do you ever get anxiety? I'm like, "Yeah." They sent me right to a psychiatrist. I was there for two visits. They gave me a test. It was multiple choice. I failed it miserably because apparently I was 98 percentile, like ADD, ADHD. I remember, I remember one of the questions was, you're in a room, the door is closed, you're taking a test. If someone who walks in, do you look up? And I put yes. That that fell under in their in their ADHD. That fell under as distractions. Like you're distracted. I'm like, but wait, but the door opened. I want to make sure like everything's safe and everything's cool. They put me on Adderall and Zoloft. Um, I did them for one day. And the reason why it was only one day is because I'd never done a drug in my life. So I didn't know what high was like. And I was in my, this is 26, 27. And I took them home. I took them home and it made me so wired until about four or five o'clock in the morning that I was like, that can't be good. I took myself off of it. However, now, I see not only parents taking tons, tons of antidepressants, anti-anxiety, et cetera, but the kids are almost on as much. And so, Cordy, you were saying that, and then I want to go to Dr. Lee because I'm curious from an orthopedic standpoint, but Cordy, finish what your thought on that was. So my thought was that I think that they are the reason they're releasing a lot of the the studies and telling the truth about it now. You know, the truth can be weaponized. Sure. I, I think that that's an important thing for people to understand. And I think they're doing it at this time because they were really trying to do a psychedelic revival. And you okay. would see the push for things like microdosing, ayahuasca. Yes, they were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they with the advertising, although a lot of it was done through social media now versus, you know, commercials, I, I'm sure they might have had, I just don't watch television much to know, but I was seeing a lot of this through social media, uh, but not just social media. I mean, you're seeing it in, in the movies, you're seeing it in music videos, I was yes. seeing it in uh, clothing, furniture. I mean, it was weird and it was everywhere. And they kept, it was very much reminiscent to me of the way L- Mother's Little Helpers were. Um, and that's kind of how they were trending it. Like, you know, it's uh, they, they were framing it like, you know, yeah, so moms can just uh, take their little microdose and I'll help them while they're doing the dishes kind of. It was God. very reminiscent. I, I was like, oh, my God, this is total psyop. And I think the trade was, OK, well, we'll get you off the SSRIs and we'll put you on this. Uh, mic. But here's where I think they're going with it. And this is, you know, people have different opinions on whether or not ayahuasca mushrooms you know whatever psychedelic you know people do have varying opinions and i'm not uh, i'm not saying that nobody has ever had a positive experience however you have to understand that oftentimes much like with marijuana what do they do they they regulate and then they make a synthetic variation that's right and that's and Peter Thiel is involved in this, yep. both with marijuana as well as with the psychedelics. And uh, there's several other, he's just one. But you know, I so then once you start taking something from nature, and we can debate about how that should be used, uh, but then you start making putting a patent on it and making synthesize it for profit, theory. Courtney. It's yeah. not just profit though, because it becomes we become the experiment control. So absolutely. they're testing, it's, it's both, it's profit and control. 
And it's I think both. So. Say that so again, Dr. Lee. Well, it's also taking away good things. An example is, and I learned this from a 30-year Army neurosurgeon, that uh, CBD oil is super for brain trauma. I mean, right. you can get people's personalities yeah. turned around, their, their, their close head trauma, the personality problems that happen. Well, but what, it's, what has happened is exactly what you said, is that they, the government now has made it legal in these dispensaries to buy it. And mm-hmm. but they make sure that in the dispensaries, they can only sell you this product that has two of the, there are hundreds of, of fractions, fractions of, this C, of natural CBD oil. And that's what all the studies were done by the NIH that showed that this worked for brain trauma and all sorts of other things and was healthy for you. You have more CBD re- receptors in your brain than you do morphine receptors. But what they did is they made it so you had to use this pharmaceutical product that only had two of the hundreds of fractions. So you're not getting the CBD benefit. You're getting whatever they're doing. And I don't know, you know, God knows what they took away. But they took away the the big benefit probably because nat- nature makes things that are healthy for us. And this is not natural. Even though it's they didn't add anything, they just took it away. Okay. Well, who knew, though, in terms of what they add? Because there's always those, well, like, or fillers and Lisa, it does make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. No, that that's very from so from an orthopedic standpoint. I mean, because you've dealt with people who are in pain. Um, has there did you see a rise, Doctor Lee, over the years in people going to like a psych drug or something else to try to obviously get away from the pain or whatever it may be? You might have seen. I don't know if you've seen direct the direct rise in that. Well, I mean. Even before that, just doing pre-op history and physicals, it's just shocking how many people are on 20 or more medications. Jeez. It can't be good. I mean, you know, and I say that just even if it doesn't recombine, the fact is they don't do any studies about how these things recombine in the body. Ignoring all that problem, it's just not physically manageable. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty organized person. I take my supplements in the morning, for example, uh, but I cannot think of doing 25 medications and not having a problem. And that's why we're seeing people that overdose, they underdose, they do all sorts of crazy things. You can't manage that. There's something wrong with that whole system. And almost everybody is on an SSRI, especially women over the age of 50. I will just say that. Women over the age of 40, they're all in SSRIs, at least when my practice. And I was not seeing them. Keep in mind, I'm seeing people like Drew broken bones sometimes i wasn't right. always just doing back surgery so it was like at my trauma patients and things you'd see people that they were on all these medications and you got to just ask yourself at first i tried to be a real physician and tried to sort this out for him and then i just gave up because i can't you can't spend i can't spend all my life being a, a pseudo internist to try and sort out why they're all these medications it's really tragic and oh. i know that i hear from people all the time that now are waking up and they're out of they're they're seeing the, the fraud of, of COVID. And one of the good things that's happening is people are not not happy about big pharma and they're trying to get off their medications. And yeah. it's not always safe to go cold turkey, but you still yep. hear these people saying, I just stopped them. And you know what? I feel so much better. <laughs> I, I hear I actually hear that a lot. I hear I because I in in, in in my world I, I can't prescribe nor do I want to. And so people ask me, what should I do? Like I can't tell you what to do. Obviously Go see your medical doctor. We've had different variations. He'll do certain things. And then literally a week or two or a month later, they come back and they're like, I just stopped them all. I go, did you talk to a medical doctor? No, I just stopped them. I go, okay, first of all, are you okay? You feel better? They're like, I feel great. And I'm like, really? 
like just quitting everything, you feel great. And in psych drugs, we actually tell people like, go see your doctor, because that's a whole other world. That's a whole other right. dangerous area. But it's interesting, because I always tell people, when I see somebody now, they're on an average of three to five medications, some antidepressants, anti-anxiety, but some just actual medications from statins to everything else. But you are seeing it. That your number, I mean, if you're seeing people upwards of 20, that's insane. I was seeing an older population, you know, these are the retirees, you know, 65 and older, a lot of times in their 70s and 80s, but still, they're the people that are the least able to metabolize and handle this stuff, right? And so, I'm worried when people say, I just quit all my medications, I think, oh, God, how how many of these people are on antiarrhythmic drugs, you know, right? Heart arrhythmias, but. How many people have their heart arrhythmia because they're on these five drugs? So when they actually stop them all, the problem that started the arrhythmia goes away as well. So I don't know. I haven't I haven't heard people dropping in the street because they stopped their drugs. That's you know? crazy. But you, I mean, Courtney, you go back to the control and the psychological control. I mean, it just is what it is. I tell this to people all the time. If you're on medications, you are controllable. It's that simple, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, so I'm on one medication and it's uh, my glaucoma eye drop. And uh, yeah, so, and I always think about this, like what were to happen if, and I've actually spoken to doctors because I will only use the preservative free uh, type. And it's only, there's only one actually. I mean, at this point I've been on all of, I don't know about all that, almost all of them. And it's the only one that really works. And it's the only one that doesn't irritate me. Um, and I've heard, you know, rumors that they might discontinue it. So that's not even like, you know, some sort of like war or crisis or, you know, pharmaceutical shutdown or, uh, you know, some sort of geopolitical event that's barring me. That's that they might just discontinue it. So then what happens? Like you are very dependent. If you are on any medication, you are now dependent on the big pharma system and you're dependent, not just on big pharma, but you're dependent on, think about the whole supply chain. You're dependent on the, the truckers. You're dependent upon the the manufacturing, and you're dependent upon whatever political crisis they manufacture. Uh, and I say manufacture because it seems like they're all manufactured. Uh, you know, not to say that there's nothing organic, but organic seems to be very localized. Organic disruption, you know, that that can happen on a local level. But to have any kind of mass chaos event is typically it's not an easy thing to achieve. And that's why revolutions are typically funded on both sides. When you look that's at right. History, because otherwise they wouldn't happen. It's like right, it's not an easy right. thing to, to execute. You know, even the concept is hard to get most people to wrap their heads around. You think just executing these, uh, all these people to fight each other? Yeah, it's not like it's a. Well, and besides task. the fact that, that they're blasting, uh, you know, wavelength at us that can change our moods. Yeah. Let's just think. Let's just think of a simple one. Let's just think of all these people now that are on are on drugs that are they're not they're not SSRIs they're not narcotics they're not but yeah. they're they're uh, they're basic little things like thyroid like yeah. uh, blood pressure medication right heart and 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 what have they done they've systematically destroyed the pharmaceutical manufacturers in America they've financially broken them and so for the most part you know people would say to me. Do you feel safe getting drugs from India? I said, look, you've had 95 plus percent of your drugs have been coming from China for the last two decades. Okay. It's a nightmare. So uh, we have been dependent on the Chinese for a very long time. 
And people, yeah. people look at how many people they, they are literally 90 days away from having no medication. They go get 90 days to the medication and they don't have any back, back stop in their house to even wean themselves off of it. And what's that going to happen if you want it, like you said, if you want to bring about a revolution, think about the French revolution. Now off steroids, on steroids, off steroids, you know, where they suddenly take away everybody's medication that makes them now jittery and anxious and whatever. I mean, that's a, that's a real possibility. And it really is a, a, if I were the enemy, I think of that plan. So people should realize we're not, we're not advocating a lot of pharmaceutical drugs here, but if you're on them, you need to think about that. And there, and, and there's a couple of things I can tell you. The army did a study, a 30 year study and it's probably going on. So it's probably 40 and 50 year now, but it was 30 years when I looked at it, they looked at all the medications and their shelf life and they put them at room temperature and they saw how many expired, you know, cause we have all these expiration dates and people throw out their medication. That's all factitious. That's just to get you to get new medication or to worry about it in these times. It turns out that no, there were only two drugs that, that had a problem after 30 years. One of them was you can't keep EpiPens. We knew that. And the other one is old time tetracycline, which we really, really don't use anymore. So everything else pretty much is stable. You don't need to worry about it. So what you need to be doing is keeping it in a regular, you know, if you're on thyroid medication or you're on, you know, blood pressure stuff, at least think about stocking some up and you can do it. Makes sense. A week. If you're going to, the easiest way is to use cash. Cash is king and cash is a way that we should be using our outpatient medical dollars. But if you're going to use insurance, you can usually go in a week ahead of time and just, you know, refill every time you get a chance, refill your medication a week ahead of time and then stash that week. Okay. You know, because now you're, you're, you're every time you're getting it instead of 90 days, you're actually getting, you know, 97 days and, and you're getting a week ahead. And that's a good way to, to stock up on the stuff because I think that's coming one way or another, not by necessarily plot, but I, I think it is. They know that if, if you want to crash, crash us as human beings and, and make us more vulnerable to attack, that's a certain way to do it. No, hundred percent. It's actually interesting you bring that up. So I remember, oh my gosh, it probably 10 years ago now, maybe, maybe a little less, but around that. Um, I mean, we saw this coming in the medical where we were like, okay, the, the drugs are getting too high. Like this, this is not going to be able to last for a long period of time. And I remember, I think Oklahoma was the first place, but it could be wrong. It was just my first study of it. I think they came up with a surgical institute where literally the medical doctors, the surgeons left the big hospital and they put together a surgical place basically where you pay cash, right? Do you see going forward where that's the system? And, and, and I don't, I always, I always tell people, I, I mean, I'm in the natural health side, but there is absolutely a place for, there's a place in time for all medications, surgeries, et cetera. Like it happens where humans, we get beat up, things occur. We can't prevent everything naturally, even though I'd love to. Right. Um, but what if we kind of come out of one system into another one where, you know, a surgery doesn't cost us that much if you don't get the insurance companies involved. Could you see it going to a cash-based system where people are actually just being preventative and potentially, you know, opting out and paying 5000 instead of 50000 for something? Not only can I see it, I live through it. Okay. okay. I'm an old part, and my, my dad used practice medicine before Medicare, before insurance, before insurance was used for every outpatient item. So he charged, in 1970, he charged $3 for an office visit. and then $3? $3. Okay. $3 for an office visit, $6 for a house call, 1970. Wow. So, and that's, so the cost has gone way more than inflation since then. And so I will just say that, I, in fact, I was, I was asked to be on the, um, oh, he was the libertarian on, on Fox News for years, Stossel. Stossel, okay. John Stossel show yeah. when Obama 
healthcare was coming on. And I was with, I think I was the president or something with AAPS and I was sent up to, to, to be the, the guest to discuss Obamacare. And, and on the, they ask you on the way in, they say, you know, the, the, the uh, guy from the channel says, what are you going to talk about today? And, and I just, I just came up with this, but it kind of, re- it kind of resonated for a while. I said, I'm going to talk about the three C's of medicine, cash, catastrophic uh, insurance and charity. That's how we used to run medicine. Yep. And you, you paid cash for outpatient items. Then you had insurance for catastrophes. Right. And then charity picked up the rest. Now, we're in a society right now. People don't realize this. Doctors cannot even give charity. If you, get, if you right. come in and you are completely destitute and I want to treat you for free, I can't do that because, I mean, at least I have to bill you three times and then I can maybe write it off. But the point is. Same here. If, if you cannot treat anybody for free because if you take Medicare, that's discriminatory against Medicare patients. That's right. Okay. So, so that is the nightmare that we're in. Secondly, when you have cash, the prices go down. Now, as a Medicare recipient, I could have gone, went to my hospital to get an MRI, and my copay for an MRI, not the price of the MRI, my copay was $1,850, just about five years ago. But if I'd just gone out and paid cash, which I did, I just went to my own, the, there's a, a cash MRI center down in Omaha. I went to them, I paid $475, boom, done. Because that's the real cost of goods and services. Right. And we become completely, so think about your house insurance. If every time a shingle came off, you charge it to your health, your house insurance, it'd be unaffordable. You, what we always used to do in medicine was we'd always paid cash for outpatient items. And then when you really needed it, and, and by the way, it used to be in the in the fifties and sixties, if a, a blue collar worker could afford to pay cash for an appendix uh, surgery, three days in the hospital, appendectomy, he could pay cash with it with less than a week's wages. Wow! Think about the difference here. So, so don't think it's just because inflation has changed the prices. It's the it's the change relative to us. We have become more more slaves. It's another way to be debt slaves. Debt slaves to our diseases, and. And so we can get back to that. And I see it happening. Now, the problem with Keith Smith's place, I mean, it's a great place. And I love what they're doing, cash, cash outpatient surgery. But in order to set up that facility, they still had to get the government's approval. They still had to go through Medicare. Uh, approval. I didn't know you that. Cannot set a facility within the United States that doesn't have to meet Medicare standards. And their standards are, are bizarre, you know. And so you have to charge. You cannot charge under Medicare, even for cash. So that's a problem. And no, it's true. We looked at, in fact, the AAPS at one time looked at doing an out, there was an island, can't remember, Antigua, I don't remember where it was, an island off the coast of Venezuela somewhere. And they, we were going to, had, had an old hospital that had been abandoned. We thought that could be a great place and we could do offshore cash pay medicine surgery. And, and everybody at the meeting, we, we volunteered that we'd go down there for three months to do it. The problem is we were worried at that time about Hugo Chavez just nationalizing mm-hmm. the island. So we didn't do it. But or being on a, a hospital ship, there's another way to do it. Going out into international waters. That's the problem. We live in a fascist society that you can't actually do free market medicine. Now, the way we're getting around it is to just step outside the system. Right. And people are practicing medicine as a private club. They're practicing. Uh, they're doing alternative treatments and non-pharmaceuticals and it doesn't matter if you have a, a medical license. You could choose as the as the recipient how to how to source your medical care. That's the way it always should have been. And we and finally, I'll just say we ought to ask ourselves why is it that I can go to Italy, for example, and I can buy antibiotics if I get pneumonia and take care of myself. I've done that because I got sick one time when I was in Italy with a bacterial pneumonia, and I, and I just went down. 
I wasn't going, going as a physician. I was just going as a, as an actual foreign tourist. And I went down the pharmaceutical thing and, and you know, fi- figured out the Italian for the antibiotics I needed and the inhaler. And I got it and took care of myself. We can't do that when we think we're free. You have to yeah. go through these gatekeeper physicians that are all government agents now. Right. And that's your stuff. Hundred percent true. Courtney, what were you going to say? I was going to say I, I'm seeing some newer like systems crop up. Uh, yeah. The one is a lot of concierge medicine, so people pay up front for the year, and then uh, those are still pretty yep. expensive. But yeah. I am seeing people, but that that's a way to kind of get away from the insurance system. The other thing, and I actually have a link for this, is that uh, the the one that I do is a uh, health share. Um, but it is kind of like a hybrid of insurance charity, but it's it it is kind of a club. So it's health people, shares are being big too, yeah. Yeah, like they pull together, and uh, you put money in, but then you can pull out when you need it, kind of a thing. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of that, and that's a, a way to. I'm just seeing alternatives, so it's not quite uh, getting back to the original pre-insurance system. It's a, but it is like a, a way of kind of transitioning out of the insurance model. No, hundred percent. It's actually fun. It's actually interesting you bring it up because, um, we've been, my, but my wife was in practice since 05 and then I jumped in later and she like day one, she took like an insurance patient and she got a check for like 10 cents and she yeah. goes, and she goes, all right, I'm out. And so she was out way up front. She never took insurance again. We're a cash practice. But here's the kicker. Um, from a chiropractic standpoint, we don't adjust anybody that's 65 years or older. Now, here's the problem. We had patients who are 60, 64, et cetera. And they came in, they're like, and, and I was like, your date's coming up and I'm gonna have to like refer you out to somebody else. And like, why can't you take care of me? You're my only doctor. I, I won't go anywhere. I'm like, here's the deal. We don't take Medicare and we're not even in Medicare. And they're like, oh, that's okay. I'll pay you cash. I'm like, here's the problem. If you come in and I take cash, you have to take a piece of paper from Medicare and you have to say I'm opting out. But for you to do that, I then have to submit that piece of paper. And even though you're opting out, I have to be in just to submit that piece of paper. And now I am exposed to Medicare, not that we're doing anything wrong, but that puts me in the system and I refuse to be in the system. So you can't even, you can't cut, you can't pay me cash. You can't get adjusted. And on top of that, I can't even give it away to you because then I'm breaking the law that way as well. So unfortunately I can do nutritional things with you all day long because that's outside of that. I said, but I cannot, I cannot, I've decided not to, I should say, to accept that. And they're like, why wouldn't you do it? I go, you have no idea the can you open up when you agree to work with the Medicare world because it's it's not it's not if it's when they decide to come to your office and try to destroy you. One hundred and seventy. It used to be one hundred and fifty some thousand pages of Medicare regulation, and it's never an error. It's always a crime. Right. I, mean, I have friends. I know people. I've had friends that literally got uh, chained, right. arrested in their homes in the in the middle of the night. For Medicare fraud, and when it all came out, it's not about Medicare fraud. They no. always call it fraud. It's just extortion. It's a business you know, called the RAC, and it, that's a, that's the acronym. But it's a good, you know, it kind of conjures up the old uh, torture rack. It really is horrible what's going on. Yeah, no, they. I had a friend in Missouri who um, he took it a long time ago, and his records were. He goes, my records were perfect. They came in, 
the guy spent a day there, was looking for something, uh, couldn't find it, came back, spent the night, came back the next day, which was not supposed to happen. And then he got on the phone back to like headquarters of Medicare and he goes, we can't, we're not, it's, he's, it's, everything's clean. The person on the phone told him, go back in and find something. And literally they went back in and they found like not crossing a T and I'm joking, but it's basically that. And he ended up hitting them for like a hundred plus thousand dollars in fines over something that was literally just like not grammar, but like a spelling thing here or there. And right. they, they went out of their way to take him down. And, and I'll tell you what they'll do. They'll actually charge you with 900,000. And then there was something, I'm just making that number up, but just picture that. They'll come in and they'll say, we, it's, we, to i don't know if i if i froze oh you're back now you're good now you're back we all froze yeah yeah so we're we're nsa doesn't like what i'm about to say (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna gonna, we've we've apportioned that we've looked at how many records you have this in the days of paper records so probably electronic works easier we figured out that you have this many patients over the last 20 years and over the last seven those count you know within the statutes Mm -hmm. of We've determined that you probably owe us, based on this couple errors, probably owe us about $900,000. But we're going to make you a deal. We're going to just let you pay us off with 90000 But you have to sign this agreement that you will not speak about this. You will not do anything public. You will not tell anybody about what happened. So then your name, so a friend of mine had this happen to him. That's a, Those are the numbers. And he got tapped for $90,000. He paid the 90000 And at the end of the day... Um, you know, everybody says, I didn't know Dr. So-and-so was, you know, corrupt. I didn't know he, he's just getting had to pay for Medicare fraud because they will splash your name all over the country. That's right. But you cannot say a thing. That's what's going on. And, it's, it, and, and yeah, it, it's it's horrible. I even had, you know, they would, my, here's my funny one. Like you're talking about the, 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 the 10 cents she got. One time, you know, I would get, when I was, when I was in private practice, periodically, my bank account would suddenly have a debit of $10,000 and something no. for Medicare. So you never know. Here's the thing when you're a doctor. You never know when they're going to pay you. You never know how much they're going to pay you. And they never know how much they're going to just automatically withdraw from your account when they determine that we we determined that that care was not medically necessary. They overpaid you. They overpaid you, right? Yeah, they decided your care, we, we reviewed your chart. It was not medically necessary. We're taking the money back. You just did surgery on this guy. They can now walk, but it doesn't matter. They said, so- they take your money back. And that would happen to me periodically that they just money would come out of my account. Like what the heck? Okay. Well, when I finally got out of all that and I retired, somebody retired. And as I said, I came back to my home state and started working part-time. I worked for a hospital. Okay. I was on salary, but I still was, there was still a 90 day period where they were taking stuff out of my account. I didn't know about it. And I had to pay for, they would send me a bill and say, Oh, we found this, this, this statement you owe us, you know, and it started out at $360 or something or treat that. No, it started out at $3,600. And then it went down to, I only owed them. And I sent them the check, but then it, because it was going through a billing service, it was kind of indirect and it was, it would take more than 30 days to get to me. Then it was $360 and then it was 30, then it was $76. And I thought to myself, this is stupid. Even the military knows if you send out a bill, if you, if you review a chart for it, it isn't $200, it's not worth your month time. Private insurance won't do this, but Medicare, they're like a dog on a, a you know, a flea on a dying dog. So anyway, they, they, they charged me $76. I think this is ridiculous. I paid that. And then it was came down like the $36. I paid that, but it was too late. So then they sent me back a bill 
for one cent of the interest on the time. One cent. They sent me a bill for one cent. So I, I just started laughing. And I said, I said, I asked one of my nurse in the office, I said, do you have a penny on you? And I took the penny and I taped it on the thing. I said, wait a minute, give me one more penny. And I taped it on this thing. And then I put another penny on that thing. Um, I taped two pennies to it. I said, here's what I owe you. And here's just in case there's interest on that. Because I never want to hear from you again. Like and then I, 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 I took a Xerox copy that I made a copy of that and I put it on my desk and I said, this is why you don't like government and your medical medical dollars. I'm going to think about how much did that, uh, the, the government totally spend in labor costs, you know, 100%. $36 an hour or whatever they're getting paid to go through these charts. You know. abs absolutely um that's what they're wasting your dollars doing oh. that's right uh courtney as we go through this year so what do you think where do you think this goes what do you think happens there's tons of theories out there what do you i mean you're smart and you've been studying this but also i know you're a very hopeful individual where do you think we're going with all this um, well, with all of this meaning, like, and what, what do you, I mean, America, the country, I mean, we have conspiracies out there. We have insanity out there. And, and I, and I, I tell everybody, um, I think, I think Trump is better than what we have, but I don't yeah. trust any politicians, anyone running anything. I, I appreciate some of the things he did, but I, I've just personally become so untrustworthy of any politician, including a president who supposedly did a great job. But he also he also launched warp speed. So like I, uh, I, I, I want America back. I want what we know to be back. But at the same time, we know so much now that who knows where it could go. Yeah. Well, yeah, he did launch warp speed and he launched a lot of things. And launched a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he did a whole like a bio nanotechnology yeah. white paper that he oh, passed yeah. through. Um, that was, I think, 2018. But yeah, so what what do I think? I agree. I do think that, you know, he is a, a better alternative. Um, I, I know people will argue that, you know, the lesser evil is still evil. I don't really think he's evil. That's just my, I don't know. You know, that's just my gut instinct. Um, yeah. I do actually think he, uh, he has America's interest at heart, from what I can see. Do but the, when you say you don't trust politicians, my, I, I feel very much the same way. I think the analogy I always use is like you're uh, you're climbing a scaffolding or like a you know skyscraper building and you're wearing a harness. When you're at the bottom, like you have a lot of leeway. You can, you know, move laterally. You can kind of go up and down a few steps. Uh, you can just unbuckle and just walk away. But once you start climbing up and you get close to the top, and think about the president of the quote unquote free world is pretty as high uh, up there as you can get, you know? So I think it'd be very, those strings get very tight. I think we'd be very foolish and naive to think that there's no levers of power over him. And even as bold and, uh, you know, I know this word has a negative connotation, but I actually think it served him and served the country quite well. He's very narcissistic and, uh, you know, has a big ego. Mm -hmm. And that has allowed him to take some kind of pretty bold steps and to ignore uh, a lot of, uh, you know, negative criticism, uh, you know, and uh, unkind kind of uh, publicity that other people probably would not be able to withstand. And but so I think as bold and as, you know, courageous and as passionate as he may be, 
um, you know, and is self-inflated. And again, I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way. Not that I'm encouraging people to be hubristic, <laughs> but I think it has served him. Right. <laughs> yeah. It can it get you some places and do some things. Yes. And, but even with all of that, you know, I think we would be very foolish to think that if they were to threaten his family, his loved ones, his children, uh, that they don't have any power over him. So I do think that that is there. And I also think that, you know, he's human, he's valuable. He's admitted himself that he doesn't read the documents uh, that allows them to kind of push things through conveniently, which is typically how this goes. Uh, in terms of what's coming, I really encourage people to be very uh, in tune and, you know, really kind of strengthen their ability for discernment because the psyops are on like steroids right now and what i really see is them working through the right and this is the mm -hmm. hegelian dialectic you know the left has been doing psyops for you know the inception of time really it's right. and even if we can even say i think left right is actually a hegelian dialectic and it's a, a false construct mm -hmm. uh, but you know for the purposes of what people identify with because people do send to have an allegiance to, you know, they identify as being on the right, the left, whatever that may be. Um, I think those people who often label themselves as being right wing are being targeted. They're the target audience. And that is, again, often how the dialectic works, because you have kind of the, the mass line actions and then you have the target audience. And the target audience is typically uh, the right, because that's who they're trying to splinter. And that's who they're trying to create, uh, you know, the opposition, oppositional tension that continues the spiral. So it's a, a false opposition, really, because the end road goes to the same point. And I, I'm seeing so much of it. You know, I think uh, the the most recent is this uh, Texas secession mm -hmm. uh, idea, and uh, that, you know, of course, uh, Amy Coney Barrett was very involved in, and I. <laughs> They're the largest conservative electorate <laughs> vote <laughs> in the country. So you know, wouldn't that be very convenient if I wanted to uh, have the Marxist uh, color revolution to basically To eradicate... get rid of our biggest population of conservatives yeah, and I gun mean, owners. <laughs> well, this is not rocket science. Like, wake up. I, I, I don't want to sound condescending, but it's a little frustrating because I just see so much of and they are targeting what I, I see a lot of also is this kind of umbrella of Christian uh, social conservative. Yep. Uh, but but they're still pushing forth the biodigital convergence, the Sorry. UN sustainable goals. And, you know, right now, this left right paradigm is it's crumbling. And, you know, I think it was a false construct to begin with. I mean, George Washington warned us against the two party system, uh, you know, and I, I my suspicion is that he he warned because he watched the French Revolution. He watched the infiltration of the Illuminati into the Masonry and he saw how they played dialectical games in order to advance their agenda and pit people against each other really to usher in their goals from both sides. And so he warned us against it. He also said it was a loophole for foreign entanglement, which is exactly what we're up against, you know, with a, we, we call, I call them parasite class, but uh, I like theme it. with uh, the parasites. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, that class of people, you know, tend, they want an international socialist world order. That's what it's gone through several iterations of name changes, you know, 
the the new world order was uh i think first really came on the scene with Woodrow wilson he was the first president to use the term and certainly we hear a lot of that today now we hear the great reset i mean there's been many names but the idea is the same it's this worldwide centralized governing body and of course that goes along with a worldwide uh centralized religion which in my estimation kind of looks like they wanted to be an ai god uh, they're priming for this AI world society, the UN Centennial, which is imagining the world in 2045. Uh, that's the 100-year anniversary of the UN. And uh, they, they're creating an AI world, world society. You can go look it up. Uh, Michael Dukakis, in partnership with Boston Global Forum, did the, the book. It's called Remaking the, Age, uh, Remaking the World, the Age of Global Enlightenment. Uh, so I, we're seeing that battle crop up, too, this enlightenment versus counter-enlightenment, which is a it looks like an initiative to subvert classical liberalism, which is uh, really the primary tenets upon which our founding documents were yeah. based. Um, and really, I think that's just a, another angle to subvert the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. So I, I don't know. That was a lot. Sorry. But I no, no, that, like- that makes I mean, it makes complete sense. I, I totally get what you're saying. I, I absolutely agree. With, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. And I think it's really well articulated. You do, you do a great job at articulating, as I said before, and how how that plays out. And I in total agreement, Dr. Dr. Lee, I mean, w- kind of the same you thing, are. but also healthcare, where does it, where do you see it go? Cause I mean, and this is the best part. I love having medical doctors who are waking up to this and kind of we're on the same side. Cause even though we come from different backgrounds, you and I see the same things happening. Like, what are you seeing? I see it kind of not merging in a bad way, but people really waking up to it. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I just talk about the bigger picture here. I, I have a different worldview, I guess. I think that we're in a Truman show and a lot of this stuff is unreal. And, you know, the difference like between it. the Republicans and the Democrats are uh, the speed with which they're taking us to a totalitarian state. You know, the, the Republicans brag that they didn't go with this spending bill. They only went with half of the spending bill, but it's the same. Problem. <laughs> you know, they're giving yeah. the same. So yeah. Think, yeah, and I was just going to say, you can't vote yourself out of tyranny. We're not going to vote yeah. ourselves out of this. On Correct. The other hand, we agree with that. Yeah, we agree on that. <laughs> I think we're winning, and I see that because all things are happening. We've got Israelis protesting Netanyahu in the streets. I don't think I don't think uh, Zelensky is the president of Ukraine. I think it's been Victoria Newland all along, and I think the deep state is is running in fear. Suddenly, they're they're saying, "Oh my gosh, you know this didn't work out, and we're going to have to have some some something happen because." I like how you think. Ripping. What's that? Yeah, I said I so, like how you think. That's kind of cool. It's yeah. interesting. The Denver murals are gone. I got a list here. I'm just going. to... The Denver murals, the, the satanic Denver murals of children and masks and things are gone. The they are, they're gone? They're gone. They're gone. I didn't in know the airport? Yeah. In the airport? Yeah. Mark Black, child sex exploitation, just got charged with child sex exploitation. I mean, this is the FDIC attorney. Dr. Zhao Yu Sin, who filed the first patent for the COVID vaccine, was thrown off the roof of the Wuhan lab. <laughs> you know? I mean, I can go on and on. Uh, Hollywood's protesting against the pedophile actors. You know, they're actually making jokes like that guy did the other night at the, yes. at the, at the Globes. Um, so I, in my in my world, I believe, I, you know, to tell me, you think I'm crazy, but I'm just going to go, no. I'm going to go to the world. I'm just going to say it. I think we're in the, under the law of war manual. I don't yep. think what we're is real in Washington, D.C. I think there's a military alliance of generals that's worldwide. And I think we're taking the world back. And I think what's probably going to happen is that, and, and true, and, 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 I think uh, Trump is actually, you know, he's we're in a big bloodline feud. Part of this is oh, uh, absolutely. This this is like a new world order versus a light world order type of situation. 
Right. She's not in the bloodline that the people are that are taking us that have been taking us down for millennia. So I think he's been he's the front man for something that's much bigger. And I honestly think what's going to happen in 24, this is just my guess. And I, and I give Patrick Dunnell's credit for this because I had thought we just weren't going to get to an election. But I like what Patrick Dunnell just said off the top of his head the other day. He said to me, he said, I think there's going to be an election and then and Trump's going to win. They may jig it to do that because the votes, the, we still got the same machines. We still got the same corrupt system we had last time. There's no reason that he should win. But he thinks, he says, I think he's going to win. And then we're going to be in a situation where that the military is in the background taking care of things. But we also now have in the front of us, we have the fact that now the the, the, the Democrats could protest the election. Remember how they said, if you he's going to try and steal the world by protesting the election. Now they're going to protest the election. Clicked. He can protest his last election, and it's all going to come out. I think that, ah. maybe, that is a much better plan than the military stepping in and saying, it's still not fixed. We can't let you do this. Now, in favor of that, too, is all of these other things are happening. They're investigating the guys that ran the Leonardo satellite that did the fix on this election. Yeah. last. They're being prosecuted in Italy right now. Okay. So, yeah. again, this is coming out. We don't get this news because unless you read foreign news, you're not seeing it. Um, but I think that's, I think the thing that the thing we have to be afraid of and not let happen, we cannot let our, the bad guys. And unfortunately we've met the enemy and he is us. We have been NATO is we are, we are NATO and NATO has become the enemy and NATO is going to, I think, try and do a false flag operation like blowing up. And they've tried the Zaporozhia, uh, uh, nuclear plant, right? They're going to try and do that and blame it on the Russians to try and obscure the fact that they're they're the they're the bad guys here, and they're going to try and get us into a war. Do not mm -hmm. let that happen. Do not give them tax money if they do that. Do not send your children. This is what we have to stop. This is the, if they do that, there's a red line they cross that we have not. We can't just sit home and watch TV and think it's going to go away. At some point, we're going to have to take to the street. And I'm not advocating violence. I'm advocating severe passive resistance. Right. You do not let them drag us into war. I, and I would I would add to that, do not let them drag us into war locally either. But, you know, I think they want both. Anywhere. Exactly. Right. Anywhere. Um, they want us divided, whether it be uh, internationally or domestically. Yeah. We have to keep our eye on the enemy. And the enemy is somebody that's not us. And it's not, you know, yeah. it's, it's not it's not on the basis of race, religion, you know, mm -hmm. uh, your job, who you are, what country you live in. That's not what's going Gender. on. Gender. Yeah, gender, you know, hundred yeah, percent. Those are all artificial, and we have to start looking at the real enemy. And unfortunately, um, they they've been very, very organized, and we're not. You know, we just want to live and raise our kids. But that's right. That's that's that's, that's our I mindset. Think, I think we're winning, so I I I have great hope. I think twenty twenty four is the year we take the world back. I, I love it. All I right. like the way I love the way both of you think. This is this is why I'm glad you're both on my text line. So I can afterwards on my message you go, okay, tell me what you really <laughs> tell me what's going on. What do you, what do you see? What do you see? What do you? I apologize, but I have an emergency in the house that I have to go attend to now. No so worries. We're actually finishing up now. right now, so not a big deal. So I, it is a joy to have both of you. I appreciate it so much. You, no, you're, you're my, I love the way your minds work. I, I love the way you both study and research. It's fantastic. It's, it's amazing. Um, so The Dangerous Dames is your, your, your show together. Yeah. Uh, tell us where you find that, but also tell us where you find you guys individually so people can follow. Oh, oh. let you go so you can get off. Okay, I'll, I'll do the number. Um, well, we're on the Dangerous Dames is every Monday night, and it, it live live show at five o'clock. Uh, you can find it on Rumble. 
and I'm on Rumble at, at, at uh, the Medical Rebel, and um, I'm also at themedicalrebel.com. So, I love it. Away. Dr. Lee, go take care of your things. I appreciate you being I'm on. Sorry. I'm sorry about this. Yeah. No worries. No worries. Take care of yourself. Appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, awesome. I'm and Courtney, Courtney, how about you? Courtney Turner. You can find me at CourtneyTurner.com. I spell my name a little differently. It's spelled like Courtney. So <laughs> That's how I said it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y-T-U-R-N-E-R.com. And uh, yeah, it's the Courtney Turner podcast. So you can find me on all the platforms, except YouTube doesn't love me. I call them the screw tube, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> they they take me down. I think I'm on my third channel now, and they've already given me another strike. So we'll see how long it lasts there. But I have a fourth of my shows on there. I, I think I'm at 450 videos, and on there awesome. it's uh, you know like 90. So yeah, so find me anywhere, and nice. uh, all my social media is on my site too. Very cool, smart lady here. Oh, this way. Go, go, go. Uh, definitely go visit her. Check her out. Awesome, Courtney. Thanks, and thanks for helping me set this up with with yourself and Dr. Lee. And we'll definitely have you back. I appreciate you. Awesome, thank you. You're Likewise. welcome, from Courtney and Dr. Lee Merritt. This is Brave TV. It's Dr. Jason Dean. Everybody, have a great rest of your Thursday. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Bye bye. Hey. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, five, eight, three, eight, one, eight. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.